Poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Yo, what is happening, my friend? I'm your host, Brad Wilson, the founder of EnhanceYourEdge.com, and today my guest is the one and only Aliyah Jadabji. Aliyah is a WSOP writer, live reporter, poker player, winner of the Poker Stars 30K Platinum Pass, and all around badass. Before we hop into Aaliyah and I's conversation, I want to be upfront in that this was the most nervous I have been before any interview I have ever done. In these Chasing Poker Greatness interviews, I talk a lot about career winnings and the millions of dollars, awards won, and going to war playing massive otherworldly stakes. But all of that pales in comparison to the battle Aaliyah is fighting. A couple of years ago, after losing 100 pounds and feeling the best she's ever felt, Aaliyah was dealing with some intense pain and went to the doctor where she found out she had a 10-pound cancerous tumor in her stomach. Fortunately, the tumor had not spread, most likely for reasons we discuss in our conversation, and was successfully removed. Unfortunately, the cancer did return, and like the true warrior she is, Aaliyah's battle continues as of the release of this episode. The vulnerability Aaliyah expressed in our conversation is, of course, incredibly inspiring, and I am humbled to say that I now consider her a dear friend, and I can say with 100% confidence that this is my favorite podcast conversation of all time. Also, fuck cancer. So, without any further ado, I bring to you Aliyah Jadabji on Chasing Poker Greatness. What is happening, Aliyah? Not much. How are you, Brad? I'm doing well. This is the part where we pretend like we haven't been talking for the last few <laughs> We haven't, though. <laughs> no, technically, you were getting water for a few minutes of it and then exactly at me while I was clicking buttons and trying to make this thing work. So obviously, very excited, anxious to speak with you today. Let's start a few years ago. I I think that's a good place. You've said that you're focused on your health, right? Like you you made this conscious Mm -hmm. effort to focus on your health. What, What was the lead up to that decision, like right before? And then what was the catalyst towards the focus on your health? Yeah, no, uh, definitely a good question. And it's kind of where it all started too, because, you know, I had seen, so first of all, a little bit of background, I used to play a lot of sports when I was younger, uh, mostly basketball, which is still a pretty big passion of mine, but um, obviously I haven't played in a while. And so I kind of saw the Jamie Staples and Matt Staples, you know, weight loss bet. And it was super inspiring for me. It still is. It's, it was an incredible feat for them to come within a pound of each other uh, within a year. It, you know, it's just incredible. And so it kind of sparked something in me where I thought, you know what, why not do the same thing for myself? Um, obviously not this, you know, within, you know, a crazy amount within a year, I just kind of said, you know, they're starting. So why can't I? 
And so for me, that kind of sparked it. And one of my good friends, Joy, she just randomly came home with this weird powder. And it was, it just said ketones on it. And I'm like, I don't understand what this means at all. (laughs) I have no clue. You know, I was like, what are, I don't know what ketones are. So we started kind of like taking this weird drink and it's like, oh, it's supposed to help you lose weight. I'm like, okay. I was kind of skeptical, but um, her, her boyfriend, who's also a good friend of mine, Jamie, he kind of read it. He's like, this is trash. And so he kind of made it his mission to figure out what keto was so he could explain it to us. And long story short, he ended up sparking something as well um, in all of us where we kind of just jumped into the keto fad. What did he spark? What was it? I, I don't know. It was just, he went on it for a week and he instantly dropped 10 pounds. He said his energy levels were insane. And so I was like, okay, well, maybe there's something to this. So we kind of hopped into it, but he went hardcore. He went six months straight, clean keto, working out. He wasn't miserable. He was always, you know, he had high energy levels. Uh, Within six months, he dropped all of the weight that he needed to lose, which was about 85 pounds. Holy shit. And this was 2017. And we're now in the end of, at the end of 2019. And he's kept all of it off and he has not gained much weight back. He's gained some muscle but that kind of sparked something in me as well. So would you like to get into the, the why the keto works? I don't want to drag us too far off topic, but like, I do think it's important that people understand the why. Yeah. It's really simple actually. Um, And mind you, I'm going to preface this by saying, you know, being in ketosis and being on keto, there's not really much testing with regards to, you know, how long you could be on it before it's unsafe or not it's not there's nothing to say that it's safe or not safe um but there's been you know no testing however what makes it work is you basically are switching your fuel source so you're going from you know your body's using you know you're eating carbs generally in a lot of foods your body is normally using those carbs turning into glycogen and using that for energy in your body however if you are eating under a certain amount of grams of carbs per day to get you into ketosis that's actually changing your fuel source where you're going from using glycogen to using your fat. So let's say you have a meal with like, you know, 60 or 70 grams of fat. After several hours, your body's going to burn that and use it for fuel. And then once it's done using that fat, it's going to use your fat stores within your body to, to, fuel your, to fuel you, basically. And so that's actually why a combination of keto and intermittent fasting really works. And so I think that was, you know, part of the the draw for me was like, well, I can also, you know, go on this diet and eat stuff like cheese and things that are a bit higher fat, like avocados. And uh, we ended up in the beginning, admittedly doing dirty keto, which I didn't know it was a thing at the time. <laughs> I was just like, oh, this is, you know, bacon, there's fat in this. But, you know, after a certain period of time, you kind of realize, well, wait a sec, logically, you know, you're still putting trash in your body. <laughs> And, you know, technically it's low, you know, high fat and low carb, but you think about some of the, you know, it's being processed, processed foods and whatnot. So I ended up tweaking my diet a lot where I just went on healthier keto. And so, um, you know, long story short, I kind of did, uh, did that for a long time. How long? Um, how long? Uh, so I've been on and off for two years, but my most consistent was, I think it was about 10 months, nine, nine or nine to 10 months. And I ended up losing um, just over 100 pounds, wow. which was, I didn't plan on it. I was just eating the way I was eating, uh, following keto. Every 10 pounds I dropped, I would 
um, readjust my macros. And I would actually, I wasn't even exercising that much. It was the last four months, which, you know, during my time in Vegas, it was easier for me to go swimming and, and be active. And so the last four months was when I was doing a lot more physical activity, hence I have to eat more, but it was honestly such an in, incredible experience because I dropped the most weight I've ever dropped in my life, you know, and I've been trying to lose, you know, the excess weight for several years now. So it was the most success I've ever had. I was super happy. Um, you know, all facets of my life were on the up and up and felt really good. But unfortunately, you know, after nine to 10 months or, or so of this, when I started to actually get sick and where, you know, I started getting symptoms, um, having this tumor uh, in my abdomen, which... What were the early symptoms that you started to feel? Um, it was crazy. I actually remember exactly when it first started. The very first day that I decided to drive to Vegas for the summer for the World Series with my friend Mike, I started to get a lot of stomach pain and some other symptoms that... Um, like internally. And I was getting pain, but it wasn't consistent. So this was May, June, July, where every two to three weeks, I was getting uh, pain and, you know, symptoms within my abdomen where I even certain foods I couldn't eat. And so um, I thought it was weird. I thought maybe it has something to do with my body adjusting with the weight loss, because I dropped a lot of weight in a short period of time. And so I was like, okay, I'm not going to think too much of it. And then August was in it when it got really bad, where I was in pain all day, every day for two weeks straight. And I was actually working, uh, working an event, and I was just miserable. And so right as soon as I got home after that trip, I got checked and I got scans. And immediately they kind of found this massive tumor, which surprisingly was 10 pounds approximating just based on size. And... Um, immediately my world was rocked. It was just kind of one of those things where, you know, I was on a massive high, probably the highest and best I've ever felt in many, many years, physically, mentally. Um, you know, I love what I do in terms of being in the poker media and so everything was just going really, really great. And then all of a sudden this kind of bombshell was dropped and everything just kind of flipped for me. What were your thoughts? Like the thoughts that went through your head when they told you that you had this, this 10 pound tumor? First of all, I thought, holy shit, that's a, a big tumor. And second was, how is it possible that having this big of a mass that is cancerous in my body has not spread? And I was really, really worried that it spread either to my bones or, you know, got in my blood and, you know, was going to hit my heart eventually. Like I was freaking out and I just, I was like, man, that, you know, immediately, you know, think about like poker terminology, man, I fucking run bad because, you know, I kind of like, I felt like I overcame something huge, you know, mentally and physically where I'm like, man, I lost hundred pounds. I don't have much to go. Like, you know, I was thinking about, you know, the end. Right. And I'm like, I've been trying to do this for a while. I can do so many more things now. I feel amazing. And then, you know, they dropped this bomb on me where I kind of just have to stop everything and figure out what to do next, where I'm like, man, I, but I was on this journey that I wanted to finish and that I was really excelling at. And all of a sudden, boom, you know, I got to kind of redirect life for a little bit. So, and, and I mean, I, I, I can't imagine, I'm not going to say that I can't imagine. I can't imagine the fear, just the existential thoughts that had to go through your brain. I mean, this is a confrontation with mortality, right? Um, yeah. 
what what were your next steps like uh after after you gained clarity as to what's going on what did you do next so it's crazy because you know i've been kind of battling with this thing for about 14 months now uh, but initially in the beginning i was actually taking it really well considering and and i see this as you know last year taking it well compared to how i'm taking it now because I just can already see such a huge difference in my attitude, which, you know, obviously I'm working on fixing, but last year I was, I feel like being on that massive high really helped me because I could at least kind of say, okay, let's just look at the bigger picture here. Let's just get through X amount of months, just not think about the worst. You know, luckily it didn't spread, which is a crazy story in itself, which I'll talk about in a second. But, you know, I was like, okay, I'm going to get this tumor. We're going to shrink it because we had plans for radiation, which I did do, um, and got radiation therapy and shrank the tumor. And it actually ended up shrinking almost 50%, um, in a span of a very short span. And then I got surgery. Is that normal or abnormal? Was like, what was the expectation? The expectation was maybe 20%, maybe 25%. And that was actually the goal, uh, 25 to 30%, I think. And that was kind of a safe number to get the entire thing removed because it was not safe at the time to kind of go in there and get this massive thing out. It could, you know, damage organs and, you know, just, it was too risky. So that was a really, really good result for me. I was able to get tumor removed in December. The exact date was the 19th actually of last year, which, you know, of course I'm big on dates for some reason in my life. And so coming up on that date, you know, in a few weeks here is pretty emotional for me, but you know, I came up to that day, got it removed, and I was just thinking, okay, this is going to be easy. I'm going to get this thing removed. I'm going to get this thing out of my body. I'm immediately going to go back into you know keto, and I'm just going to pick up where I left off because I found that just with the high stress and stuff, I could not keep up with keto while I was going through treatment, and it just mentally, I was a mess. So I kind of just decided to not be so hard on myself and probably gain back like, I think, 20 pounds, which is really good considering you go from just not eating carbs at all to eating carbs. What do you mean by you are, you are mentally a mess if, if you're okay with talking about it? Like, no, for sure. Um, mentally a mess. I mean, compared to what I'm, I've been like the last couple months was probably not, not that bad last year, but I think it was just a matter of a lot of worry and anxiety of, you know, um, my, my family's been through a lot of health stuff in the last several years. My mom had, you know, breast cancer in 06. Um, my dad had two strokes. My grandmother is in a really bad car accident. My sister is in a bad, like, it's just been one thing after another. So I feel like another bombshell just kind of dropped up my family was just going to rock everyone. And so I think I was just really, really worried. Um, and so I just was like, man, the last thing I need to worry about is food. And so, you know, just tried to not be too hard on myself. I tried to stay predominantly healthy, obviously, because I wanted to be healthy for surgery and and whatever else, but I was definitely um, not following the keto diet for that X amount of time, which I was fine with. And I kind of just said, screw it. I'm going to get this tumor out, immediately going to go back to get into ketosis and I'm just going to crush it. You know, this was my mindset. And I feel like for the time being, it was fine because it kind of kept me positive. But as soon as I got the tumor removed, it was not, you know, what I thought it was going to be. It was just a struggle. And it actually took me until March of the following year, so March 2018, to uh, actually kind of get back into it, 
like seriously. I tried on and off and it was just too tough. And, you know, recovering from surgery and kind of getting back into like work mode, which is another thing about me is I can't sit still or do nothing at home. So I kind of like forced myself to just get back to it. And the thing is working in the media is something I really love. And so that was really tough, but I did it and I got back into it and I lost a whole bunch more weight, you know, going into the summer and I was feeling good. And, um, you know, went to Europe a couple of times this year as well for the first time in my life. So, you know, a lot of like fun stuff that happened, but I started getting sick again and, uh, I couldn't, ex- this is something I couldn't explain. I didn't have symptoms of like, you know, specific to my body where, you know, previously was my abdomen and, you know, stuff like that. It was nothing specific that I could pinpoint. I thought maybe it was just something else. What was um, it like a, like a feeling? I mean, uh, what? yeah, I mean, it was, it was nothing that I can really put into words right now. I think it was just, I was feeling different and it was, I didn't feel like myself, maybe a little bit low energy. Maybe that's a good way to put it. And I don't know. I couldn't really pinpoint it. I didn't think it was anything major. Um, but I came back from Europe and, you know, I have, um, you know, bi-monthly uh, scans and stuff like that. And so I went for a scan and I'm fortunate that I have somebody in my family that is an oncologist. And so she's kind of been monitoring my health for the last year and a bit. And so I get results really fast and things get done really quickly. So I was fortunate. And so I got a call that some cells kind of turned up on my scan. That that means that the, the cancer had returned? Is that the... Yes. Yeah. So I found that out um, at the end of July. And uh, so, of course, you know, my first thought was, fuck, again. You know, like, and it was one of those things where I finally felt like I was in a good place again. You know, mentally, I physically, I was getting back into it. It took me a real long time to get back into keto and kind of get to where I wanted to be, where I just know the feeling of, you know, I'm doing really well. I know that I can get through whatever this is. And we're back to, I felt like I was back at square one, but honestly, I feel like, yeah. And so this time though, um, I was given a chemo pill to kind of test, to see what kind of treatment I might need to see how my body would react. And so I kind of took this pill and the cells shrunk by quite a decent percentage and so um, my doctor kind of said, okay, well, this is good news and kind of told me that if I did five days of aggressive chemo, that it would clear. So at the end of August, um, which was just a few months ago, I flew out to Toronto, which is where um, I was going to potentially do a drug trial, but it ended up last minute switching to uh, just straight five days of aggressive chemo. And I was miserable. It was the worst week of my life. <laughs> And what what is five days of aggressive chemo? Like, what does that put your body through mentally, physically, all that stuff? Yeah, it's so it's four days of two hours sessions, and then the fifth day was four hours. And I basically sat in a room. I got a private room, so it's kind of nice that uh, I didn't really have to interact with people, which is really strange for my personality because um, anybody who knows me knows that I definitely people person and make friends easily. Uh, but I just did not want to be around anyone. And so for me, that was better. Um, but my body went through, I was basically sleeping on the floor for five days straight by the bathroom, like by the toilet, because I was just throwing up 
all day, every day. And so that was one thing. And the second thing was that mentally I, and I just, it's not that I wanted to harm myself or anything, but I was at a point where it was so bad that I was just like, man, I'd rather be asleep for this entire thing or just like not be here at all because it was so grueling. I just was like, man, this, it feels like I'm in hell. If this, if hell was like, if I had any inkling of what hell was like, that was it. It was torture for five days. Um, I don't think I slept. Like I don't even remember, I don't remember sleeping. And then the last day was really bad where I um, was throwing up so much. And by the end of it, um, I was super weak. And when I got up towards the end of um, the treatment, I fell and I broke three ribs, which is insane because I've never broken a single bone in my life up to that point. So I was that weak and I don't even remember it, which is another thing. I've been having really bad memory issues for the last year, uh, which, you know, some people call it chemo brain, but between the radiation and the chemo, my memory is just completely awful, uh, short term mostly. But, you know, somebody asked me what I had for dinner yesterday. I don't even remember if I ate, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it takes me a couple minutes to really remember. Like I have a whole thing of notes right now here where I'm just like, man, if you ask me questions about timelines and stuff, I'm not going to remember. And so I kind of have a bunch of notes that I'm kind of going off of because I, it's honestly a blank. I actually don't remember falling or being in, you know, that last day of treatment. I don't remember it. I was just told what happened. So, yeah, I mean, that's, like I said, I, I, I can't imagine. And the mental space, right. You, by not being here, you mean that, you know, a part of you thought that dying would be better than living through the chemo. Yeah, that's exactly what I was trying to say is it, it was in like, I hated feeling that way and just like, and, and talking about it that way, because I don't want to, you know, I was like, like I'm getting treatment to get better. And I just kind of follow, I'm like, man, am I just being ungrateful? Like it's, it's one of those things where in the moment I, um, obviously I can't help the way I feel or what I think, but after thinking about it after I'm like, man, that was bad. And so I kind of just, you know, I thought I don't want to be in this mental space where I'm doing things, um, and going through life feeling that way. And so immediately when it was done, I'm like, I'm going to do whatever I have to do to, to not feel this way and to hopefully just, you know, get healthy. Um, so maybe a part of myself, a part of me is, you know, hard on myself just because maybe there's something else I could have done, which, you know, kind of brings me back actually to that, the story I was going to tell you about the keto and the, um, can I address something real quick? I I just, and, and for anybody out there listening, and I, I want to make this point because I, I think it's very, very important. This, feeling these negative emotions that you felt towards yourself, I, I think that they're completely valid for the situation. And I think they're helpful to other people. If somebody is gearing up to go through this themselves and they hear your story and they say, okay, like it gives them the freedom t- to accept that feeling and those emotions and not to feel like they're weak, right? Like this is the People are afraid of feeling weak and being vulnerable, and you know you're you're giving them permission, right? And, and it's okay, like it's okay to, to ha- because we're all human. It's all a part of the human experience. Um, mm-hmm. So anyway, I, I just wanted to make that point that that you're you're not weak. I'm sure that 
this story has been played out thousands and thousands of times across the world. So, you know, don't be too hard on yourself. Yeah, I appreciate that for sure. Um, and I knew, you know, I know that in thinking about it just logically, right. And it's, it's such a battle between logic and, and human emotion and, you know, what you're feeling in the moment, you're just like, man, this makes no sense. You know? Oh yeah. Emotion's going to win almost yeah. every time. Yeah, definitely. And, but the crazy part about the kind of tie in with keto and um, this tumor which, you know, I think about it all the time because it's a crazy thing, but, you know, cancer cells, cancer cells thrive off of basically glucose and sugar and carbs. And my doctor was basically like, man, whatever timing this was with the keto diet was insane because after they found the tumor, even though the tumor was there, she firmly believes that, you know, even though there's no direct testing tied to this, that depriving my body of of the carbs and stuff in the sugar really, really helped to possibly for the most part prevent spreading. And so that was a huge kind of, I try to remind myself of this all the time because when I'm feeling down or I'm feeling, you know, like I, maybe I don't want to be keto today. And I think about that and I think, well, man, I possibly saved my own life by doing that for a year. And it's kind of crazy to think about. So that's one of the things that I kind of use to fuel myself if I am feeling down, but unfortunately my memory is so bad that, you know, sometimes it just doesn't come to mind. So I kind of, I have a lot of post-its and, and notes on my phone and stuff that I try to go over frequently, but I, I really, you know, I don't know if I believe in like, you know, everything happens for a reason or karma or whatever else, but I feel like there's some semblance of like, maybe the timing here is just, I don't know if it's meant to be or whatever, you know, but kind of perfect. Um, yeah, it was very, very perfect. So obviously, you know, now given the fact that I'm still battling this, that was a really big hurdle, you know, having this massive tumor inside of me and having it, you supposedly have a high chance of spreading based on the size and, you know, how quickly it grew. So, and it's, it's hard for me. I like, I don't want to minimize anything, but I know that, mm-hmm. you know, your initial reaction of, man, I run bad. You actually ran fairly okay for the situation, right? Like you ran pretty well, um, just coincidentally starting the keto. Um, yeah. So this was, uh, that was in August, right? Which what Mm -hmm. month or what month are we in and what month is August? End of November almost. (laughs) Three, three months ago. Are, are you, um, cancer free now? What is the, the, what does that look like? Yeah. Unfortunately, I'm not in the clear, but I mean, based on the information, the prognosis hopefully will be okay after, um, after January, which I am supposed to have surgery. And so, I mean, while it, and this is one of the things that I'm really battling and have been battling for the last little bit where I just don't know. Um, I don't know. It, just mentally, I just, I feel like I've, first of all, become an introvert quite a bit, which really bothers me and it shouldn't. I know it shouldn't logically, but I'm just very much, you know, I thrive off of like good energy and I really believe having positive people around really makes a huge difference in my life. And so I'm kind of trying to work on it, but the anxiety has been really bad for the last little bit where I just don't feel like interacting with people. And it also sucks because it's part of my job, right? 
Um, and so, um, what's the anxiety? So it's, it's like, I'm nervous slash worried about something, but it's, there's no direct reason for it. You know, I don't, you know, if I wake up feeling like I can't breathe, which is part of a big part of anxiety, feeling like I can't breathe and worried about, and just feel worried, but I don't, you know, aside from obviously the important part, uh, you know, going through illness is I don't have anything else to worry about. And as you said, you know, I've run really good and I've kind of discussed this quite a bit with friends and family is that it could have been so much worse. And I try to focus on that because I feel like there, you know, I know people who are going through cancer who are just, you know, stage four and there's no cure. And so I kind of, I try to think about that, but, and I just wonder, I'm like, I don't understand why the anxiety is there. Um, I've never dealt with this in my life and I know friends who have. Uh, so, I mean, we, I briefly asked you if I could talk about this before, but cannabis has really saved me quite a bit, you know, between THC and CBD, it helps me sleep. Um, it calms me down. And I, you know, a big worry for me because I've had friends in my life who have overdosed on drugs that I I'm scared to take anything like antidepressants or, um, you know, for example, after surgery, taking any sort of medication to help for, with pain, I've strictly just been medicating with THC and CBD. And that's really, really helped me a lot. So. Yeah. I, I use THC every night to sleep as well. Cause I have yeah. my own insomnia and sleep issues. So definitely on board with that. So when confronted with this, this just this massive thing, what what did you think about life? Um, did you have any regrets about the things that you had done? Any resolve to to do different things? I mean, it, was there an internal dialogue? I, that's a probably a horribly phrased question, but yeah, that's a really really good question. Um, honestly internally i feel like it's weird because i feel like it's two different it's it's all one thing for me you know the last 14 months of of battling this it to me it's the same disease but i also feels like it's two different occurrences or they're two different things which is weird because you know they're not i'm still battling the same disease but i feel like just because of my mindset the last time compared to this time i've been really really depressed and that's just that's just saying it straight up and it's been bad to the point where I've been trying really hard to not let my mood kind of seep into other people's moods. You know what I mean? And I feel like, and I know that I'm not supposed to be hard on myself, but I feel like that helps me because it at least helps me be a little bit more positive. But, you know, sometimes I just don't feel like doing anything. I don't feel like talking to people. The anxiety gets bad to a point where sometimes I'm just, you know, super overly medicated, um, taking THC, not to the point where I don't want to feel anything, but it's just because I need it to not freak out. So between the anxiety and the depression, especially the last couple months has been pretty bad. And I hate using this word, but it's been crippling. You know, I, it's one of those things where I just feel like I can't function at like even a normal or an average level. And, you know, again, being at work and being around poker, um, has been, helpful for me. Um, my friends and family have been really helpful, but it's one of those things where I'm working through it and I've just, I don't know exactly how I'm going to get through it, but I think, I know I will. Um, just trying to be positive, but yeah. Um, internal dialogue, um, in terms of regret, stuff like that. I try to 
have very few regrets in life. And I've kind of, before I used to be the kind of person who was like, man, I regret doing this or I regret being friends with you. But I feel like, so one of the things that I've done to sort of help uh, with the depression and kind of calm my mind is I started reading a lot before I didn't at all. Um, but Humble the Poet is somebody that I follow on social media and he has a couple books that are super short chapters. Um, one is called Unlearn and the other is called Things No One Else Can Teach Us. And he basically went through depression himself through life and was struggling artist and kind of talked about um, straight up. He's like, man, I hate all the Tumblr quotes where it's like, you know, like just reach for the star or reach for the moon, you'll land in the star, like stuff like that. And some of that stuff's relevant, but it's a lot more real. Um, and I kind of feel like I relate to it a little bit, but I started reading and kind of, you know, doing a lot of that stuff where I'm like, man, I need some sort of motivation or pick me up to kind of like get me through the day, get me to sleep. And one of the things is no, um, no regrets, just lessons. And it's one of those things where I'm trying to you know, kind of implement that in life. And if I've made mistakes or have, you know, done things that, you know, I should correct or whatever else, I just kind of use it up as an opportunity to, um, to grow. Because I think that, you know, if you're going to live life having regrets, it's going to be, you're going to, your anxiety is going to be there for sure. And for a reason. So yeah, internal dialogue for me has just been like, all right, let's just get through the day um, and get, and try to not, another thing is to not go to sleep upset. Um, or um, if there's something bothering me to try to find a way to get it off my mind. Because sleep is so important right now for me that I just want to be able to go to bed and wake up positively. And I think that, you know, um, Elon eats in chat right now. I can see uh, she's been a really um, supportive person in my life. Take it minute by minute, day by day, and kind of just go from there. So yeah, there's a lot of internal dialogue with me right now and not all positive, but I mean, that that's, has to be expected. Um, yeah. Ha- have you talked to a professional, like a therapist? Like I've inter- interviewed Elliot Rowe. I'm not, I'm obviously the least qualified person to talk about like uh, post-traumatic stress disorder and these types of things, but I, w- I could imagine yeah. that that's d- a, a big possibility as far as what has brought on a lot of the anxiety and the depression. Um, so ha- have you talked to a professional? Yeah, I did recently. And the other thing, and the, you know, it, it was really helpful um, it, to talking, to talk to somebody, which is another thing um, twofold. First was, it was scary because immediately at the end of the session, I was prescribed like a bunch of medication and it immediately I freaked out because it's kind of been something that I've been trying to avoid. And, you know, somebody really close to me overdosed four years ago. And it just scares me to think about taking, you know, anything besides THC to, you know, alter my mood. Um, on the other hand, it's, I know that I probably need it and I'm trying to fight it right now and I'm being a little bit stubborn, but I'm trying to see if the THC and some other methods um, will work for me. Um, but I'm not, delusional i i know that this is something that i probably need to to take but i'm trying i'm trying to to go the natural way um but yes i did talk to somebody um the other thing is that i've been finding it hard to discuss a lot of the stuff with the people that i'm closest to which is a big, pretty big problem for me because i'm i've been pretty much an open book and i can talk about whatever i feel like you know and i talked about to you about this before the session um, I felt like doing this 
would maybe help me a little bit to try to, you know, be able to talk about it more with other people um, that are important in my life, but also, you know, to try to help other people that maybe are struggling. Um, why are you, why, why the hesitation to talk about it with your close friends? So, so it's kind of awkward because people are awkward around me and it's, it's not their fault. And I, I just want to say to like, so I'm sure there's some people who are watching and listening um, who I am close to in my life. If you feel like you can't, you know, you don't know what to say to me. Cause a lot of people don't know what to say to someone who's maybe sick or going through depression or whatever else. They feel like they have to walk on eggshells um, around me. You know, people that, you know, if I say, you know, I'm like depressed or I'm feeling shitty today and just like the common response is sorry. And like sending like a heart emoji, which they mean well, but for me, it's after a little bit of time and it started to get a bit frustrating because I'm like, man, I already don't know how to talk about this. And then other people are finding it awkward to talk to me about it, which is not their fault at all. It's nobody's fault. This is kind of, it's one of the things that happens in life. People get sick, this stuff happens. Um, but it's one of those things where I kind of shut down. What do you need? What's like the, the ideal like conversation or reaction? And that's the thing, right? Because I had somebody ask me that and they kind of flipped it on me. They're like, well, what what would help? And I was like, you know what? I don't even know. But I just, all I know is that like, just like the awkward stares and like the puppy dog eyes feeling really sorry for me or like just saying sorry and just sending like a heart emoji or whatever sometimes. It's just like, geez, man, I already don't know what to say. And like nobody else knows what to say to me. So I'm not going to bother talking about it and then that kind of frustrates me because I'm like I feel like I have so much to get out you know it's it's just a personal thing and it's a personal battle which I don't know why I feel that way but it's just um it's an awkward scenario so I don't really know what the right thing is or what you know there's no wrong there's no wrong way to approach this I feel so much love from people it's it's just one of those things where man people don't know how to talk to me about it so I kind of shut down and I feel like um talking to somebody that I maybe don't know, you know, for example, a therapist is, is awkward sometimes, but I feel like it just allows me to at least say what's on my mind without worrying about offending somebody or scaring someone, you know, cause it is a scary thing to go through when you're facing death, basically, you know, it's, it's hard to talk about and it's hard to listen. Um, so what do you, what do you make of the way that you feel like with the, the puppy dog emoji, right? Like what is the, like, what do you make of that internally? I mean, is it, is there some sort of sense of self that you, that makes you feel bad that they feel bad? Is that any part of it? Maybe. I mean, it's, you know, I'm thinking about that and that comment, I think also a big part of me and this kind of just how I was raised, you know, by my grandfather where it's like, I like the thought of stressing other people out and like having people worrying about me stresses me out. <laughs> so I think what it is is also you know maybe part of my anxiety is like worrying that other people are just scared for me and are just always worrying about me and maybe that's part of it and which is kind of a bit of what I discussed with my therapist was was like man maybe I'm just stressing because I know other people are stressing and that gives me anxiety because I the last thing I want to do is put anyone out or you know, like I don't want someone to, you know, I don't want anyone to fly across the country to, to be there because I'm going through chemo or whatever. I don't want to put people in that position. But then logically, I know that if somebody else that I loved was going through it, I would, I would want to do that. So it's kind of like a weird 
thing with me where I'm just, I hate um, inconveniencing people. And I just like, you know, maybe that's it. I, I can say with confidence that zero people are inconvenienced. I, I think that, you know, this is a, it's like a self dialogue, right? Like I, I think yeah. nobody, nobody that loves you is inconvenienced by being there and supporting you and loving you and spending time mm-hmm. with you. Like you said, you know, logically, you know, if, if your best friend had to go through it, of course you'd be there. Right. Um, hundred percent. Yeah. So, uh, and having awareness of that, I, I think too, is, you know, maybe a key to resolving some of the anxiety moving forward. Um, just making the agreement that like, yeah, th- these people love me and mm-hmm. they're, they're going to stress, you know, this is, this is life. Somebody that they love is in pain and suffering. And so, th- you know, it's the human emotions, you know, you can't have love without suffering, especially when things start going, uh, a poor direction. Um, is there anything else that you would like to say Ex- expanding on, on the depression and, and this, the, the, the feelings? Yeah. I mean, I do, like I've done so much reading as I said, and it's one of those things where, so first of all, another thing that's really frustrating for me is uh, my memory issues. And I feel like I have like just a foggy brain. I don't know how to describe it, but Uh, I feel like I'm not processing things as quickly. And so kind of my mind races sometimes ahead of things I'm going to say or vice versa. And my memory is really bad. So it's really, really frustrating for me. So that's one thing that's actually depressing me because I feel like my, I don't know, I feel like I'm losing it. Or sometimes I'm like, maybe I just, maybe I have a tumor growing in my brain. Like it's, I freak myself out, I think, thinking about these things just because of all the things in this last 14 months but a really huge thing that's really helped me a lot. And I have to give a lot of credit to one of my good friends, Conrad is poker and and studying poker and playing heads up specifically because um, I kind of, um, so I have a good friend, his name is Kalen and I wrote an article about him this past summer. Actually, he went through, he just had a freak accident where they overdosed him by accident in the hospital um, after a routine surgery, he tore his ACL And they marked him brain dead. Um, But a day later, he woke up and he he was having similar issues um, over a longer period of time, though, where he just um, was having a lot of issues with his brain and similar, like, you know, memory issues, foggy. And what he did was he started studying and playing chess and online poker. I started playing a little bit of chess, but I got really frustrated really easily, which I found is something that's been happening to me quite a bit where I just get frustrated about sometimes the silliest things and I felt like getting into chess as someone who's never really played chess would probably be uh, probably have the opposite effect for me um just because you know the between the frustration and kind of learning something new um maybe might not be the best for me right now so I decided to shift my focus to poker which you know I've been playing for more than half my life now and I only started kind of taking it seriously the last few years in terms of studying and so I said, you know what, maybe I need to focus and kind of retrain my brain by studying um, some poker. So I messaged Conrad, who's um, very, very smart, um, really, really good at poker and been doing it for over 10 years, I believe. And so I kind of asked him, like, you know, what should I play? I kind of having this frustration, 
he's like, just try some sit and goes. I played some sit and goes. I bubbled like five in a row. I'm like, this is really annoying. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So much for feeling better. Yeah. He's like, this is supposed to happen though. You know, he's like, it's good that you're bubbling. It's good. You know, you're going to win some, you're going to come in second. Some like top two paid. Right. I was like, I'm sick of bubbling. It's really frustrating. So anyways, I ended up studying heads up poker a little bit and playing a little bit because that's his specialty. And so he actually has been helping me a lot going through hand histories, which he's been doing for the last couple of years with me. But he literally took probably like five or six days in a row and was just like helping me with all sorts of things, went over hand histories and studying charts and all this stuff. And it was incredible. I felt really, really good about it. You know, I was like getting all nerdy with the graphs and stuff. And, and so for me, this has been a huge, huge help mentally. And so I feel like I'm getting better there in that area. Um, it's kind of helped with the depression a little bit too, where I'm like doing something where I'm, I feel like I'm excelling at. And so it's kind of what I've been doing um, and kind of focused on. Um, But in terms of adding stuff, I just have to say that um, keeping really positive people in your life and people that, you know, bring value to your life is key, but also the stuff that I've gone through the last 14 months, it kind of made me realize and kind of shift my focus on the people that I, you know, I'm like, you know, you think about possibly dying tomorrow and you kind of think, well, these are the people that I need to speak to or I, I want around or I need to say things that I want to say to you before I possibly might not wake up tomorrow. And that's a huge shift in my life, I feel like. And it's kind of been a huge plus for me. So there's like, you know, a whole bunch of people in my life, um, Vanessa, Joy, Jamie and Mike that have to be named, um, Brent and Conrad. Uh, Ilanit, like these people are just checking on me all the time. They've been a huge part of my life. The Run It Up crew as well, um, which, you know, Jason Somerville and the people at WSOP have been really, really loyal to me and have helped me in spots where they didn't need to, um, you know, which is interesting because, you know, I think about it, I'm like, man, I shouldn't be working uh, in these conditions at some points, but I feel like it keeps me sane in these communities honestly have been a real huge plus in my life. And so, you know, poker is, um, has been a lifesaver for me in so many ways. So, um, you know, despite feeling like shit on a daily basis, I also have these people in my life through poker who have made me feel amazing. So what do you, what do you make of that? Having all those people that go out of their way to, to show you love and check, check in on you. What does it mean to you? Man, it means everything just because, you know, you think about possibly not making it through the day or, you know, you never know what can happen at any second. And so thinking about people are they taking time out of their day to to check on me and make sure that I'm feeling good and um, lifting my spirits where, you know, I'm like, they know that I'm feeling down all the time and just checking on me. It Honestly, it is helping in more ways than people realize. Um, even just a simple message, a phone call. You know, my friend Brent, who's in the chat, I can see uh, Brent Harrington basically was checking on me every so often, two, three days. He would call me like there's a period where we talked on the phone quite a bit and which, you know, for me, man, feeling introverted, you kind of don't want to do that kind of thing. But then, you know, you kind of I hear whoever's voice, whatever, you know, whichever person it is, it could be Jason Somerville on the line or it could be, you know, whoever. Um, it's just nice to to get that kind of love that's kind of a big reason why I'm like, man, I logically, I'm like, 
I shouldn't feel this way, but I know that I shouldn't be hard on myself over it. And I know that I have these people in my life that I can reach out to and talk to who make me feel better. And that's honestly, it's a, it's a huge reason to want to live and to, to get better and to, you know, want to stay in this industry too, because honestly, I've made my, my best friends have come out of this industry. And I mean, yeah, that's, that's, that's how I feel. It's, it's been amazing. What is up my loyal Chasing Poker Greatness listener? Coach Brad here, and I just wanted to take a moment to ask you a simple question. How many times have you heard my guests and I speak passionately about the benefits of poker coaching? You get to expand your poker network, receive expert feedback you can rely on, and have your burning questions answered by a trusted mentor. Which brings me to the Poker Power Hour, a series of 100% free Live one-hour poker webinars, masterclasses, and hand history breakdowns that kick off each and every Wednesday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The Poker Power Hour will be led by me, Coach Brad, as well as some of your favorite Chasing Poker Greatness guests. It will be your weekly guide for helping you plug your leaks, skyrocket your poker growth, expand your network of crushers, and inevitably win more money on the green felt. The Poker Power Hour is premium content and live only. There will be no free replays or view on demand, and the content will eventually be released as paid training only. So head to EnhanceYourEdge.com, opt in to the Poker Power Hour, and get for free today what you'll have to pay for it later. Once again, to catch the Poker Power Hour every single week, Head to EnhanceYourEdge.com and join the email newsletter. Now, back to the show. I don't think, and this is based on zero scientific research, um, I don't think people go from being extrovert to introvert. I think that, you know, I'm, I'm an introverted person, right? Like I, this, this is my love. Um, as like professional love are these one-to-one interactions. Um, Mm -hmm. I can tell you that we'll get off this call and I'll be fucking pumped. Like I'll just be pacing around my house and have so much energy. Uh, It's just such a joy for me. And do you think that previously as an extrovert, getting energy from building people up, like from your perspective, making their day better, do you think that now you feel like being around those people might make their day worse? And so this leads to isolation? Yeah. I mean, it's very possible that that's, you know, that is the case. And I've thought about this too long and hard. And I'm like, you know, logically in my head, I know that these people will care about me and that they're worried, but they want me to get better. Uh, you know, but then I think I'm like, man, I feel like I'm just maybe feeling like a burden. Maybe I don't know if that's the right word. Maybe it is. I don't know. I think but, it's, I think it's, yeah. Um, it kind of makes me, it's not their fault, but it kind of just makes me not want to tell, tell anyone when I'm feeling depressed or feeling down. And sometimes you can just see it on my face and you know, my, my immune system has been really like, I've been battling pneumonia and bronchitis. I guess it's the same thing initially when it transfers into pneumonia, just, but I've been battling this for the last like several weeks. And so you kind of kind of tell that I'm a little bit miserable sometimes, but um, yeah, I just, 
I'm like, man, why, why do I need to bring this person's day to a screeching halt by telling them that I'm like feeling super depressed and whatever, you know, but yeah, that's definitely, definitely part of it. So I've had a problem. I I go out to lunch with somebody, right. And they offered to pay for my lunch and I'm always like, no, 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 no. I I got the lunch, right? Like I I don't want you to pay for my lunch. Like it's good. Um, and then one day, one of my friends who's much wiser than me said, Brad, this is my blessing to you. Don't steal my blessing from me. And for all of your friends, I can say 100%, it's a blessing to be able to be there for you when you're vulnerable, when you're feeling sad, when you're depressed. And so, you know, don't rob them of that blessing. Let, let them be blessed to take care of you. No, I mean, that, that was well said, obviously. I, I, as I said, you know, logically, I feel like I know in my head and I'm thinking it over and I'm like, this is silly. It's dumb. The negative self-talk, like it's not silly or yeah. dumb, right? I think, I think it's, yeah. hu- it's human. You know, you, you don't, you don't want to be a burden, like you said, to drag people down. Yeah. Um, it's very human. Yeah. So, you know, I tell myself, I'm like, logically, I know this is, you know, if I, trying to put myself in other people's shoes, you know, if they were going through it, there'd be no thought, you know, and you know, that I wouldn't be there for them, you know? So I try to think of it that way, but sometimes just kind of my nature. Yeah. It's a struggle. I I mean, it's totally understandable and it's just not a good situation. I I think that almost all human beings would react exactly the same. Okay. Um, let's, segue a little bit maybe to maybe to some happier things um okay. what would you say what's the most unexpected thing that's come from your journey through poker unexpected that's a really good question um well like getting into the job in general in working in media was unexpected already how did you that know, happen some, so i was working in finance for quite a long time and there was kind of this period where it was just impossible to get a raise. It was impossible to get a promotion. Um, and I later realized six months later, they laid off 16 or 1700 people from the company. And that was why it was impossible. So I decided to quit in the summer of May, 2015 and take the summer off, uh, do a bit of traveling, play poker. And then I said, I'll look for another job in the fall. And Joanne Jost, who is a TD uh, back home in Canada. Uh, she ended up having this social media spot open where she wanted to try doing some live updates, which in Canada is not a huge thing in compared, you know, comparison to the States and Europe. And so she said, you know, let's give this a try. I think you'd be good for it. Long story short, I gave it a shot and I never looked for another job again. <laughs> and it's been four years. So that's basically the short version, but accidentally fell into it that way met some really good people uh drew amato christina janine deeb um from the poker world who came to canada to run an event where i was working for the casino uh doing updates for them and they ended up you know hooking me up and getting into the world series and working for them and i've honestly been super happy working in the industry it's been such a dream like as i said i've met uh, some of my best friends in this industry um, who I know I'm going to be friends with for life, even if I leave the industry at some point. And, uh, but 
I want to say most unexpected thing, man, honestly, it would have to be actually studying poker, which is weird because, you know, back when I first started playing in the Moneymaker era days, you'd be like home games and just playing, you know, there were some underground games back in Toronto where I used to live and, you know, play with friends. And it was just kind of just chill. And, you know, I've never even thought that studying would be a thing. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I won a platinum pass last year, you know, to go play in the Bahamas, which I was really lucky to win. And um, I ended up getting some coaching from Ryan LaPlante uh, through chip leader coaching. And um, my game has just transformed so much to the point where I'm obsessed with, you know, talking hands and spots and, and whatever else. And my cash game has really improved a lot too, which I'm predominantly a cash game player, just mostly because I, you know, love the flexibility and I work in, I work tournaments all the time. So I don't really want to spend my off days grinding a tournament for potentially zero dollars, you know? So oh, I understand. Um, Trust me. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So for me, that was very, very unexpected. I've never really thought about playing professionally and I don't think it's something that I would want to do just based on stress levels I think but I mean also for the most part I'm happy um you know working in the media right now and as I said loyalty is really really huge you know WSOP and the manager that works with me Rob he's been amazing yeah being flexible with my schedule which has been obviously sporadic so the loyalty there has been amazing and there's always work for me at some point so yeah super unexpected to become one of the poker nerds and part of Skype groups and group chats and whatever so yeah, it's. Uh, I'm pretty sure I'm. A, I, I am a poker nerd. I think Sorry. probably for the last 15 years. I think. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that was uh, just part of my journey. Was uh, and, and I, I spoke about it the other day with Fedor Holtz, who was talking about the. Uh, we were talking about why he got into poker in the first place, and it was his love oh, of yeah. love of learning, and how over time, like he started learning less, which kind of made poker not made him not love poker as much like just over time right that was the the aspect of it that that he fell in love with and i do think you know it's easy to get in flow when you immerse yourself in poker studying and learning where you start out looking at something and then seven or eight hours later there you are still running the solver and talking to people and getting feedback and and getting better when you think about joy in your poker career What's the first memory that comes to mind? Joy. Um, honestly, I don't know if you've kind of seen, you know, seen this on social media the last little bit, but do you know who Celeste the Unicorn is? Oh, the is that that's Vanessa's little <laughs> thing that she's taking pictures of? Yeah. So <laughs> her, we were in Reno on a month-long trip. It was Reno and Tahoe. And her birthday fell during the same time as running up Reno. And I kind of went to grab her birthday cake and I was kind of walking through the aisles and I, f- I saw these like pinatas and I'm like, man, this would be awesome. Like she could just beat the shit out of a pinata and chocolate will pour out of it and she's going to love it because she loves chocolate. And uh, so I look around and I saw this big cupcake. I'm like, that looks awesome. And then I see a unicorn. I'm like, she loves unicorns. So I'm like, screw it. We're going to get this. So I bought the unicorn pinata. I stuffed it with four bags of candy um, like sitting in the back of an Uber, just shoving candy in its butthole. Like it was, it was, it was a process, but basically I get back to the room and I like surprise her with this unicorn 
And she's like, why? And I'm like, what do you mean why? And she's, she's like, you know that like, I'm never going to hit that thing. And I'm like, God damn, how, like, why didn't I think of this? She's vegetarian because she loves the animals. And like, and I'm just, I'm serious, seriously, what was I thinking? I'm like, I should have got the cupcake. And then she's like, what am I going to do with this now? I can't waste the, the candy or whatever. And so she ends up taking this to the poker poker room the next day and starts giving out candy. And now it's turned into like, now we're like over a month later and she is still, she's, she just left Vegas today and she was roaming around Vegas in all the rooms, handing out candy and chocolate. people. Um, <laughs> How much candy she, did yeah. you stick in that thing's butt? Man, she's been <laughs> refilling it. I'm sure she oh, spent shit. several hundred. But honestly, the thing that we're saying is that we're just, you know, Celeste is bringing joy to the masses because, you know, you go to a poker room and not everyone is cheery and happy and loving life. You know, you're winning and losing money at weird rates. And so uh, it's just crazy. She would just go around and now she just will not play poker without it. And it's Celeste the Unicorn um, bringing joy to people, you know, and I don't know, that's the first thing that I think of when you asked me that, because I was just telling her, I'm like, it is crazy. Like, I don't, I'm not huge on the pinata thing. I love Celeste. I think it's, it's a hilarious thing, but the fact that it brings joy to her, like she finds joy out of bringing people joy. And so for me, that's just like, man, that's amazing. You know, you get to, you just, it's as simple as carrying around this pinata that's made of like, I don't know, like cardboard and paper mache. I don't know. I don't know what it's made out of, but you're just carrying this thing around and just giving people candy and you're putting a smile on their faces. You know, like the dealers even, she's like, Hey guys, if you ship me a pot, I'm going to ship you a chocolate. Like, so it's going to work, you know? And so, I mean, it's stuff like that where you just don't see that often, but I'm lucky enough to be able to witness it all the time. And that actually makes me smile a lot. So for me, um, it helps with like the shitty mood and stuff to have that positivity around. And it's a, it's a huge thing. That is hilarious. <laughs> and yeah, this, this, this gift that you thought was really horrible is now spreading joy to poker rooms across Canada, America, worldwide. Yeah, for sure. And it's, it's funny because a couple of times she said to me, she's like, this is the, possibly the best gift I've ever gotten. <laughs> and I'm like, man, all right, whatever we, makes you happy. <laughs> we just needed to go viral. And everybody's carrying around a pinata at all the poker rooms, giving out candy to people. I don't know. I don't think Vanessa's <laughs> going to agree with that. She wants exclusive rights to whatever this thing is of just like being the person that gives, you know, that spreads the joy. <laughs> so, but other people can't, aren't allowed to spread joy. That's not fair. I feel like she's going to get a little possessive in that area, but <laughs> I, I like where your head's at. Um, you mentioned some books earlier. Um, we're going to get into the, the lightning round a little now. If you could give sure. uh, all poker players one book, what would it be and why? doesn't have to be poker related. Yeah. Um, I would say the book called Unlearn by Humble the Poet. And the reason for that is that it was twofold. The first is that Humble talks about, you know, his own depression and how he kind of fought his way out of it. And like the chapters are really short for someone who has a really awful attention span like me. Um, it's really helpful. I can read like one or two chapters a night and not, and be able to process it. But unlearn being, you know, we go through life and we kind of, as we grow, we also have a lot of habits that maybe are not 
you know, technically like healthy for us, but we still, they're kind of still a part of our lives. And he kind of just talks consistently about his own habits that maybe got in his own way. Like it was a struggling artist and he um, came up from nothing and, you know, he was, he's a rapper and he's a writer and he has merch. And like, he basically talks about how, like, stop thinking about, you know, things that might've been such a way 10 years ago and kind of unlearn your bad habits and, maybe not bad habits, but even things that are getting in your way. Like, don't feel bad if, you know, there's this one person in your life who um, is just negative all the time and you feel like they're bringing you down. Just, you know, pull yourself out of that scenario. So kind of like little examples, I feel like that we can all relate to in life where we can, you know, draw from his experiences, which is, you know, partly what's inspiring me to write a book myself, which I've kind of started doing, which it might be a while, but I kind of want to do similar to what he's doing is I want to be able to kind of take my experience bad and good and kind of put it out to for the world. And if people can learn from it, then um, I feel like I've, you know, maybe served my purpose or whatever it is, you know, like whatever it is in life. And so unlearned by humble, the poet hundred percent and get that fucking book out of you. Like, let's get it yeah. out there. You know, I We're think working um, on it. Good, good. And mindset is something that like I'm thinking about every day. I can't, I can't interview Elliot Rowe and then have a two hour conversation with Nick Howard and not be obsessed with mindset now. Like it's uh, like projection and self-sabotage and all of these things I, I've had. I feel like I've had self breakthroughs like every day, the last like five or six days. And then Fedor Holtz too, uh, obviously yeah. he's, he's going to talk about mindset and stuff. So it's, very subtle, the seeds that get planted and the actions that stem from those seeds. Um, I, I hate making this about me, but like I, I'll, I'll be a little vulnerable um, since you know you've been very, very generous in the vulnerable regard throughout our conversation. But like one of my values in life is to create impact, right? Um, this is a core value. I, w- I want to create impact. I, w- I want to help people in their life, uh, live a better life, improve their life. And I've asked myself, I- I've had many course, many poker courses in my head. And today I was at the gym, I was lifting weights and I was thinking, why haven't I made poker courses? Like, why haven't I done this? Right? Like I- I've made tons of poker content. And so I started thinking about fears, right? Like the, the fear and then I realized that my biggest fear is that I'm going to die and not make any impact. This is, this is like a core, my, my biggest fear, right? And then I took it like the next level of, okay, so how are my actions getting in the way? And, and this is like where the procrastination comes from. Because if I never make anything, then my fear never gets realized, right? Like I, I, I'm scared of the pain that whatever I create won't be good enough to make an impact Therefore, I procrastinate making a thing. And it's like, you just have these insights, these roadblocks that get put in your way that when you realize them, you're like, oh my God, like I'm like, it's self-sabotage, but it's such a subtle, subtle thing that just comes from who knows what life experience. But anyway, yeah, this, this is what I'm learning about myself today. But if you could erect a billboard that every poker player had to drive to on the way, drive past, on the way to the casino, what would it say? Oh, man. <laughs> that's, a, that's a really good question. 
definitely not the billboard that says more rake is better. That, that was an absurd billboard. I don't know if you heard. Was that a billboard? Somewhere. Somebody made a billboard. There was a billboard. <laughs> it was yeah, a joke, right? Video. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> oh man, I don't know. I feel like the first thing that comes to mind, and this is not even a traditional thing related to poker, but. Um, you know, I spend several weeks at a time in these casinos uh, working these events. And I find that like with the stale air and smoky air and stuff like that, it really affects my mindset. And like, I think that there's something to being outside in the sun and getting vitamin D. Um, but I feel like I something to the effect of like, how about you just eat your fucking dinner outside or like, you know, take a walk for like, one of your breaks. Cause I feel like just being stuck inside all the time and just getting air, which is, it's a weird thing, but it's the first thing that came to mind. Cause I know that me being in a casino all the time, um, I need to get outside and I feel like it affects, affects your mood a lot. And so, um, yeah. Bio- biologically, it seems like it has to be true, right? I don't think that human yeah. beings have, uh, we're probably meant to be in a casino for, 18 no. hours a day and never see the sunlight. <laughs> I think we're probably, we're probably created differently than that. For sure. Um, okay. One heavy question. And then we got a few not heavy questions. What's a story about yourself that you were convinced was true that you're starting to realize may not be true. First thing that comes to mind is that I'm not great at math, <laughs> which is like, which is hilarious as a poker player. Um, no. I mean, I would say, okay, I feel like for a good chunk of time, especially, so um, a little bit of background, my family is Muslim. And so being a female and being Muslim, I'm non-practicing, but my family is, there's just been kind of like a path, you know, and I feel like this is not just for, you know, Muslim families or, you know, um, you know, we're first generation Canadian, but my parents are born in Africa. So, um, you know, somebody that's super old school, like my parents, um, a lot of our parents are old school. So I would say this, people can probably relate to this where, you know, we're supposed to be on some sort of path where you go to school and then you graduate, then you get a job and then you get married and you have kids and you get the house and then whatever else, you know, then you retire. Then you die. Um, Exactly. And so for a good period of time, I was kind of, my family was like, not obviously not thrilled that being a female Muslim working in a casino all the time was really frowned upon. And I kind of, for a a decent chunk of time, I was like, I'm just, I'm a selfish person. And, but I didn't care. And I was like, you know, this is what I love. Um, I love to play poker and I've been playing since I'm 33 now. I'm playing since I was 16. And so uh, for a good chunk of time, my parents, you know, kind of made me feel like I was selfish for doing something that I like to do. And then jumping into the industry and working in it, I, I told myself I was selfish, but I, you know, after the year I've gone through, um, I don't believe that about myself anymore. And I can confidently say I'm not because of, you know, a lot of my actions in life where I feel like I'm quite the opposite. Um, and, you know, logically thinking, and we've discussed this a little bit here today, where it's like, you know, I'm too hard on myself uh, when it comes to a lot of this stuff and thinking that I'm being too selfish, but I'm really not. And I actually think quite the opposite in a lot of respect. So um, it's something that I'm proud of, you know, going through life where, you know, I, you know, I also an emotional person too. So, you know, I feel a lot of things when it comes to my friends and family. And so 
being an emotional person like that, I think makes me a bit more selfless than selfish. So 100%. definitely a big thing I struggle with. Yeah. Follow, following your dreams yeah, is kind of the human experience, right? It's what everybody wants to do. Um, yeah. So kudos to you. Uh, definitely not selfish, I think. Um, and I can tell throughout this conversation that you're clearly not a, not a selfish human being. It's, if anything, it's way too, it's too far in the other direction. Need, need more <laughs> self, Aaliyah needs more selfishness. Um, yeah, I mean, and I, and I definitely know that about myself too. And when it's crazy though, to think about, you know, especially after the last year and a bit, um, where it's like, if I, if you were to tell me, you know, cause I, first of all, I didn't think that, you know, I was told I was in the clear and I didn't think that this was going to come up again. I was hoping that I would be like, you know, my mom where she was, <clears throat> went through it in 2006 and dealt with it, had surgery, radiation, chemo, and she's, you know, dodged it since then. And I was like, you know, I'm, I hope I can go in that path. And then it came back. And then I think about it. I'm like, man, tomorrow they could tell me that it's spread tomorrow. They could tell me that it's gone, you know, and I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. And based on that fact, why should I be slaving away doing something I don't like to do, you know, working in finance or whatever it is that, you know, my parents kind of expected for me. And I kind of thought about it. And I said, I've done so many awesome things in the last four years being in this industry and the friends that I've made and places I've traveled to, which, you know, I didn't travel very much when I was a kid. So thinking about going through this kind of makes me, you know, reaffirm that, yeah, you know, I'm, I believe I'm on whatever right path it is for me. And, um, I can't, I just can't let anybody else tell me that it's wrong because, you know, no regrets. The, the number one regret of the dying is that they didn't live a life that was true to themselves. So yeah, follow your bliss. Yep. That, that's, that's all you can do. Oh yeah. What's your current big goal as related to poker? Oh, uh, that's a great question. I, so my current, I mean, I have like a small plan that I want to implement for bigger pictures, you know, um, keep studying when it comes to heads up, for example, and kind of work my, rework my brain pathways and try to get health stronger mentally. And that should translate, you know, into getting better at cash, which is predominantly what I play. Um, I'd like to play bigger, you know, um, how big, I mean, right now I'm playing mostly one, two, one, one, three, which I find the one threes are like the hybrid one, two, two, five games. And once I get a bit more comfortable, um, I would like to transition to two five and kind of spend a good chunk of time just predominantly playing that game and kind of getting better at it. And then who knows, who knows what happens after that. But obviously I'd like to play bigger than two five eventually, definitely a long, long-term goal, but that's kind of what I've been thinking about really in terms of working on my game for the next, let's say year. Cause I know that I need to focus on stuff that really um, is going to stimulate my brain on top of just, you know, working in the industry. And I definitely want to get, get good. So. I would say with confidence and played a lot of live poker that this is a very attainable goal. Mm. You, you 100% will be playing two five and five ten. I would say within a few years, if you, you know, just do the work, right? Like, you know, you have all these amazing people that, that love you that are great at poker. And like, this is, this is far, far more than a lot of people have that, that aspire to move up to two, five and five, 10. Right. So like you, you, you'll, you'll get there. I have no, no doubt. Yeah. I'm super lucky to, you know, to have these people, you know, for example, Conrad, like 
it's crazy. This, this guy just, you know, dedicates whatever time he could be grinding, you know, all day, every day, but he's been spending time helping me out with my game. I have these group chats, you know, my best friends, you know, between Vanessa, Joy, Jamie, they're all really good poker players and I can talk hands with them anytime. Um, I travel lots with Vanessa too, where, you know, we go to different stops and I know that she gives me whatever feedback if I ask for it. So I'm very lucky in that regard. Yeah, you'll get there. I have no doubt. What's a what's a project you're working on that's near and dear to your heart? I actually, um, when I first got into the industry, obviously I was getting my feet wet. But a big thing that I was really drawn to was the charity aspect where a lot of people are really, really generous. Whatever the cause is, people kind of rally behind it. I ended up doing a charity stream uh, in 2017 to end the year. And it was really epic. It was you know, our, our average viewership was maybe like 20, but the point behind it was that for an hour or two a day, we would get some really awesome pros on our live stream, like Jason Somerville, Jen Shahadi, we had D-Moon Girl, Jamie Kersetter. We had some really cool people on our stream and they all in some shape or form helped us get donations. And so I want to do cool uh, things like that um, related to charity strictly. Um, but obviously the cancer research is close to my my heart right now and something that i've been trying to work on which i've been putting off for a bit for my own procrastination reasons but um i'm trying to roll out some merch that will um that i'll be able to kind of donate proceeds to charity for cancer research in time for christmas and so i'm kind of working on some designs for that but that what is kind of, what kind of merch um shirts and hoodies like poker you know poker players can wear at the table and it's not so much starting a clothing line, but it's more just getting a few select things out there that are in support for cancer research. And, um, you know, at the risk of being out of line and swearing, fuck cancer is one of the, um, one of the slogans I'm trying to like get it in there so that people are not getting, you know, flack for it wearing in the poker rooms. But I think uh, doing that in time for making a donation, over Christmas and New Year's, um, you know, Dan Smith has the double up charity drive he does every year. So whatever I can raise, um, he'll double it. Hope assuming he does it again this year. So that's kind of where I'm working on right now, and I hope to roll it out really soon. It's somebody that's familiar with e-commerce and this sort of thing. Reach out to Aaliyah. Give her some help. Let's get this. this let's roll this shit out so that uh, yeah can do some good. Um, I'm in. So let's fast forward 15 years what would you like your poker accomplishments to be or your accomplishments in the the poker industry? I don't know what the future holds for me in terms of the media side. Um, You know, there's definitely lots of options and I would definitely um, at the top of my list, consider staying if the right opportunity came along. So don't really know in terms of the media side, but in terms of um, actually playing poker, um, it would be cool, you know, I mean, I've been focusing on some tournament studying or whatever, but it'd be cool to win, um, a big tournament, you know, like a, you know, a six figure score or something like that, just to kind of, you know, I guess I'm not playing for a living or anything, but to kind of solidify, you know, the studying and, and putting in the work and just being in, the, in being in poker for so long, you know, everybody wants that score, um, at some point. And I've definitely been studying a lot. So, um, I don't play a high volume of tournaments, but, the plan is to, you know, play enough during downtime that I can, you know, bring something huge and 
donate a good chunk of it to charity and just be able to say that I want a big tournament, you know, financially it's great, obviously, but it's not something that I'm kind of like, um, that I need to attain or whatever financially. It's just for recognition's sake and just kind of like, you know, um, reassure myself that, yeah, this is, you know, this is worth the work and, um, have that big trophy in my house or something, you know? Yeah. It's the, uh, the culmination of all the hard work. It's the, the pot yeah. of gold at the end of the rainbow. For sure. So final thing and yep. get you out of here. Where can the, the chasing poker greatness audience find you uh, on the interwebs? Hmm. Pretty active on Twitter. Um, I try to take days off to not be on Twitter, but it's, I feel like it's impossible. We're going to work on that. Nothing's impossible. Um, at El Sriracha on Twitter. And I'm on Facebook, but not as often as I am on Twitter. So for the poker world, anyways, um, at El Sriracha on Twitter. And uh, I'm pretty active on there. So, Thank you very much for your time and your energy. I'm very grateful to have had this conversation. Um, and let's do it again. Let's do it again within the next 12 months and you can parade your book around. That would be awesome. I really appreciate you having me. And as I said, you know, when we were talking off, off camera uh, or off, you know, live stream, um, kind of being on this podcast and chatting with you a little bit about this stuff is, is helping me a great deal. And um, just being able to talk about some of the hard stuff that I haven't been able to talk about. And people are maybe wondering, um, you know, why I've kind of been quiet or just not as you know active um, in person anyways it's helping me a lot and I hope that you know whatever I have discussed today whether it's depression or you know um, whatever it is I've gone through if you find it awkward I hope you don't feel that way anymore and if you know uh, you are depressed and you feel like you can't talk about it just know that you're not alone and you know um, if there is ever a time that I can help just the way that people have helped me in this industry quite a bit definitely always uh always around to chat so i appreciate the interview it's an honor and my pleasure thank you thanks thank you so much for listening to this episode of chasing poker greatness if you haven't yet subscribed to the show please take a moment to do so on apple podcasts or wherever your favorite place to listen to podcasts may be and once again i wanted to let you know about pkc poker if you're on the lookout for a new poker platform where the games are safe and secure and the action's amazing head to enhanceyouredge.com slash pkc pod to get your code and jump into the games You must have a code to play as well as be 21 years of age or older. One final time, that's EnhanceYourEdge.com slash PKCPod. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time on Chasing Poker Greatness.